are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, I do have a disclaimer before the beginning of this episode. I'm going to ask you guys to forgive me and to cut me a little slack on the audio on Mr. Hove's end of things on this episode because, well, admittedly, he is a thousand-year-old Transylvanian vampire and he is not well-versed in (laughs) the 21st century. Uh, He was straight up and let me know he had no idea what Zoom was, really had no idea how to navigate computers and whatnot. So things were, I can't lie, things were a bit rough audio-wise on um, his end trying to edit this. So I did the best I could. Uh, That being said, I still think it's listenable and that you'll enjoy it. But do know that we will be getting Annis to return this October with Ted. By the way, shout out to Ted Nicolau, who, whom without we could not have secured this interview. So thank you. But anyway, we'll be having Radu reunite with Ted and maybe some others later on this year. So we'll get him back and maybe get him a bit more of a setup and a better internet connection for the next chat. But anyway, without further ado, here goes the chat with Radu. So here you go. and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Why don't you take us back in time, my friend, to when you were a child growing up in Greenland? Were you a fort builder, book reader, troublemaker, or all of the above? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I was, but I was into my dog sleigh and the winter time and hunting in, in the boat during summertime and being a bad boy and a good boy. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just living in the nature, so to speak, without romanticizing more than it actually was that's what I did until I was around 16 I guess and the family went back to Denmark and then finished my school there and went to the university for a while that didn't really work then I went in to apply for, for the acting school in Copenhagen and got in then uh, did that for three four years or whatever it was I think it was three years now four years 
shortly after that, that would be find something that I married my wife, my sweet wife, and she's, uh, she's an American. She wants to go back to the States for a while at that point. She's been here. And then we went to, to LA, buy it out, and uh, got my green card and started out in a theater out there, a play called Grave and Moran, which is a wonderful movie as well. Then I did General Hospital, got my big break there. You know, got a lot of good friends, more like you, and Kip Shrine, which I still have in contact with, and Tony Jerry, who we eventually stopped in General Hospital and moved to Amsterdam in this absolutely wonderful apartment right down the canal. So while being out there, I obviously met Ted and uh, the rest of silence. Now, initially, you studied law like your father. What was the catalyst for that shift? Mainly bored. I didn't pass what I had to pass. So, in that sense, it, uh, then I went into studying economics. Uh, that was actually quite interesting. But, uh, but for some reason, I didn't make it. And then uh, there, uh, at the university, they, they needed some extra down at the theater to make a little pocket money. I went down there. And, and really caught my imagination. Then the director asked me to apply for school, and he hooked me up with, uh, with one of the senior actors at the theater. So how far along the path did you start to take acting seriously to where you thought you could pursue it as a career, potentially? Oh, uh, yeah, well, I was very serious. Actually, for many years, I loved it. But, yeah, but that's a big uh, satisfaction in hiding behind the character. Right. There's a big satisfaction in that. You can always blame it on the director. <laughs> um, no, it, it's, a, it's a wonder. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's absolutely horrible. I often wonder how, how you can sort of stand watching a bad movie, but <laughs> watching a, ba- a, a bad theater is absolutely Well, you just mentioned that bad theater, is it? exceptionally bad do you recall any negative experiences that you had on the stage early on oh i mean i i don't know but for many years i guess i had too much respect for lack of better words but then i grew into it and i, I really love i worked with a lot of oh, some of the greatest women in danish theater which was an eye-opener for me i've always been good at working with women so I've worked with some of the biggest stars on the women's side in this country, and uh, it's been uh, absolutely wonderful. As well as I, I think Finola and I on General Hospital were, were good at working together. Now, during your time on stage, do you have any roles that stick out to you as your uh, some of your personal favorites? Yeah, yeah, but that's it's by a writer not known in the state at all. I did quite a few of his plays. They really, it's a Scandinavian kind of all be and uh, that good stuff. So how did that very first professional gig pop up for you in Denmark? It was back in the day when we didn't have an age. The head of the theater would call, you know, ask if you would be interested in this play and whatever. So, I mean, I've been pretty lucky in my time in the sense that we didn't have to audition a lot. 
when the phone call and you were offered the job. It's not until the last, I don't know, 15 years that all business breathed into the Danish business side of that as well. So, uh, yeah, well, but I don't have to audition for Katie. Yeah, I think you got that role locked up. <laughs> so early on you worked in Greenland and Denmark when you finally made that jump to the United States was it a big culture shock for you work work wise was there a big difference in the work environment at all that you had to get used to yeah in a way it was but a beautiful thing about being in LA back then was that I didn't have to be there you know I mean the in that sense the first few years out there was an adventure so that audition thing was a whole new thing. Well, I went to an audition on that the theater play I started out on Drake and Moran. Obviously, I had to audition for General Hospital as well, which was a very long process, which I wasn't used to. I had never tried it. So it, it, was, it was all very new to me, but I wasn't nervous or, or anything in that sense because it, it was all new and didn't really know what I was doing. Later I realized how, man, the, the, the way I realized it was a big deal when I got the GH job was, yeah, I did the audition, obviously, and then at some point my agent called me and if I would come out to the office, which all turned out to be just an excuse to call me out to the office, because when I came to the office, Morgan Paul, as his name was, Nevertheless, there was champagne and tears and whatever. And it wasn't until that I sort of realized. I've always wanted to ask, it seems, at least from the outside looking in, that filming a soap opera would be more akin to theater than traditional television because you're not dealing with one episode being released a week. You're doing multiple takes, recording multiple episodes, Monday through Friday. So is that experience more akin to theater or is that not accurate no i would say that soap is pretty much the closest you come to theater on film so to speak because you have these uh, four or five cameras that uh, you know they just roll and then they more or less do the editing as they film being on a show at least in the beginning for me was that if you fuck up i mean then uh, all of a sudden you have 10 people around you that is comes to, to a halt, you know. And so in that sense, you really have to know your lines. You've got to have it down pretty well. Otherwise, everybody is waiting for you. But there's also some some sort of excitement about you know, to make it click and to make it work. But obviously, the quality of the acting and the being for such are not always too good, but they can also be damn good. Now, you did make your return to General Hospital recently. Uh, how different was that experience compared to when you first started on the show? The wonderful uh, casting director on General Hospital, they, they would send me the scenes in advance. This last year home with, with 100 pages for I don't know how many episodes. Then you just have to, to learn it by heart and then you go over there and then you shoot, shoot it all within, within a week and then you out. You know, I mean, it's well, it's tough, but it's also sort of a big satisfaction in being able to do it. It's like playing football with the Packers. <laughs> so was Critters 4 your first movie role in the States? Yeah, I don't even remember how it started. I mean, I must have gotten some sort of position. This is sweet. And then, then I met, uh, you know, all these 
big star at that point. What is his name? What is his name? Wonderful character. Do you remember the guy? He, he, he was in he was in the one who flew over Cuckoo's nest. Ah yes, Brad Dourif. Yeah, Was that your first time working in the horror genre? Period. Yeah, it was. They don't really make horror movies in Denmark. The audience is too small for it. So honest concerning subspecies. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was Michael Watson who portrayed your brother Stefan in the first film who recommended you to Ted for the role of Radu. Is that correct? Yeah, he went to an audition. He was working at General House at the same time as I was there. And he went to an audition during a lunch break. Then he came back and said that there was a part which he said would be good for me. <laughs> uh, so he set me up for, for that, uh, that audition. And I went down there during the same lunch break. I think. It was not that far from Prospect Avenue there where we did General Hospital. I think it was down, down on Sunset somewhere. So I went down there and met those two casting directors acted out something. Michael and I went over there together. Now what was your approach going into the audition? Do you remember you kind of just walked up off your lunch break? Did you throw out the Radu voice or was that developed later? Oh, no, I think, no, not really. The, I, I don't remember the, the audition as such. I don't even think that Ted was, I'm pretty sure he was. As far as I remember, he was out scouting locations at that point. Uh, so he didn't, I, ha- I didn't meet him actually until I came to Romania. But first, I don't know, we didn't shoot for the first two or three weeks due to technical problems, due to the fact that Ceausescu had just been killed and everybody was out in the streets demonstrating for this and that, whatever, which was absolutely fair. So we had a, our share of red wine during those three weeks. <laughs> Back then, I was smoking as well, and at one point, the tech came and told us that we would shoot the following day, and we went out on the location. How does he speak this to And I think that I have not been too proud of that either, but I think I've been doing a couple of red rocks at my twin cigarettes, so my voice was already down there. You know, it was, that's how it came about, so there was nothing else to do from that point on so. so when it comes to radu the character were the were there any other vampires or characters from film or fictional history that you look to to sort of draw inspiration for the character i looked at the uh, cloud king did uh, i looked at that a little bit but otherwise we said uh, and i made it up as we went along because initially, Ted and I didn't hit it off at all. Really? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds strange, but it was, but it had to do with the, the cast, the such work. I mean, we didn't work. We were supposed to be there four weeks. We mm-hmm. ended up being for 14 weeks, and it was pretty draining. Also because we lived out in, up in Transylvania, and we were basically the only people at this hotel something like 400 rooms and we were the only people there and it was shining light walking around all the you know in the end you wouldn't even care to say good morning or good night or whatever you know it was horrible so in that sense the mood was rather test but in, eventually i mean i would cry and they would cry and we 
love each other and everything <laughs> would be good. Uh, we've been very uh, best friends ever since. Did you read his book, The Potato Something? I did not. You, you should, you should uh, turn a few pages. You won't believe it. But um, so it became very nice relationship I had with Jeff because in the end I not in a bad but in a good sense of it. I uh, would just do what he would ask to do, so to speak. Because it's very nice, at least that's my point of view, when, as an actor, when you have someone upon you can hang your the responsibility in the best sense of the word, you know that you're in good hands. How involved was Charles Band in the whole production? Did you have any interactions with him hands-on? No, not really. I mean, in... Uh, First time out there, we were shut down for quite a while. Part of the cast wanted to go home, so uh, Charlie sent out his father, signed the contract and whatnot. So that was basically the only thing I knew about Charlie. I mean, I didn't meet Charlie until years later, but I don't recall. I think the first time I met Charlie was at the reunion in 1991. But I met him a few times since. You touched on this a bit earlier, Honest, and I had a chance to talk with Ted about this briefly. You guys were over there filming the subspecies series at a just a wild time for Romania, you know, as you mentioned, with the fall of communism. So what are some of the memories that stick out to you when you reflect on that time in Romania? It's very moving, actually, to see how the people around us, the Romanians around us, sort of, Lightened up, door opening into some sort of freedom that they haven't had for decades at that point. And, uh, I, I liked it a lot. It was, it was beautiful, and we, we became sort of, a, I would say, a, a tight unit. Also, because of the, the following the movies we did, it was, if not exactly the same crew, but then it was close to being the same crew. And how are you? And how are things? And people had been got divorced and got married and had kids and then, you know, the, so you're sort of following their lives as well as they were following ours. That was very sweet. Then we had that beautiful reunion, I think that is two or three years back in Romania where I was invited by Blast the photographer, now stone half of Romania, the head of the studio and became a very wealthy man. So there I was there as well and we met those people again and uh, you know it's like we were together yesterday part of the reason that we we were in Romania for so long the first time around was because of the demonstrations and uh, and all that so throughout the subspecies series we see Radu evolve as any good character should uh, when it comes to Radu's character arc did you have any input or did you contribute any dialogue, anything along those lines, or was that strictly Ted? Basically, that was Ted who was responsible for it for many good reasons. But, I mean, should I have an input or have a say, then Ted has always been a man who's lived, and uh, that's the way it should be. It, it doesn't work as such as I would call Ted and say, couldn't we do it like this that? Maybe I've done that a bit a few times. But Ted has always lived. The bit about the whole thing this time around is that at least I feel I'm so far away from it. Or Kevin is going to be in it too, but he's going to play another character, which I'm looking very much forward to. That makes uh, 
beyond that, then I mean, it's pretty much up to Chad. I mean, uh, I haven't gotten the latest uh, edition of it yet. It's a prequel, as you well know. So I guess we're going to come into how he ends up with this sort of wars and all that. I mean, yeah, man, it's been, what, 25-ish, maybe more years since the last film. Are you excited to return to the character after all these years? Yeah, well, I am sort of excited about it, but I'm also a little nervous that because it's, um, it's also that I want to see it happen before we leave it. have this stupid fucking war going on right here and in the backyard, so to speak, and COVID uh, could break out again before you know it. I mean, there's all these things that which came in the way. You know, I mean, we've been talking about this for the last two years, not to mention the last 20. But I, I'll believe it when I see it. And you guys are not returning to film in Romania for that fifth one, are you? At this point, we're not going back to Romania. We're going to Serbia, which is basically next door, but uh, it's another language, and uh, I don't really know how much of the locations have been secured yet. Uh, I don't think that has been over there, maybe two years ago. It's a new situation. It would have been fun to go back to Romania and work with the same castle, you know, the same surroundings and so forth, but uh, everything is so much more expensive. So out of all the subspecies films, which one is your personal favorite? The first uh, I love it. I mean, the lighting and the it's damn near impossible to match the lighting in subspecies one today. Yeah, and it was, uh, there was a lot of natural light, very unusual during any movie. The production value of it. And this isn't a question, honest, as much as a comment. I just feel I have to let you know since I had the chance to talk to you. I mean, your performance as Radu, if you don't know, Folks that enjoy horror movies and vampires and the like, like myself, you're held in very high esteem, my friend. I mean, if your name isn't Bella Lugosi, you're right there, and I'll argue that with anybody. So, just want to say, while I got the chance, and you're here, you're f- you were fucking great in those movies. Yeah, I can feel that we did something right when I'm over there and we go to these conventions. Yeah, people are very coming sweet about it. That's nice. That's nice. I mean, what is 20, 30 years ago almost now? You know what I mean? But I enjoy it when I'm over there. So. Do you remember when the popularity of Radu sort of struck you on the head and you kind of had the realization like, oh man, this is really a thing? It took me quite, it took me quite a while. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I don't think I really realized it until those horror uh, channels came on. No, I didn't think about it for many years. We had these re- uh, reunions with the, the first cast. Then we there we would talk about it. And Ted Arbib knew that, that, that we had did something right. No, because also, I mean, I, w- I went to Canada and was so out of the loop for, for a while. And I went to New York went back to Denmark and back to LA. And it wasn't until I was invited to the crazy conference. <laughs> that, that's when it really, really hit me the first time. Yeah, and there, was, uh, there was one in New Jersey, there was one in Cincinnati. I think I went to, to uh, I don't know, three or four of them. What was it? New Jersey, Acorn. There was one in Kansas. Never mm-hmm. been to Kansas before. 
that was uh, or close to camp. So I flew into camp to see them, but and it was so hot. It was so hot. I mean, and maybe maybe that three years ago I was gonna die. But that was, yeah, that was one of the conventions, you know, where so have you done any theater work since your younger years? Um, are you still involved on the stage? Well, the last time I was on stage was about 18 months ago. I, I ended, and actually I'm, I call myself retired. But, but you know, you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. But I am retired. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not looking for, for jobs anymore. But beyond that, I mean, I don't think I'll go back to the stage. Not that that I don't like it or whatever, but uh, it really have to be good if I'm going back. It's really hard work. Not that I mind work, but I can't work. Let me ask you this, honest. Say you could go back in time and take a different approach to a role you've had in the past. What what role would that be? If I had one more crack at something, then I would be a journalist. Before I went to the university, I tried to become a journalist. Failed four times get into the, what we call the journalist high school here. I wasn't good enough, and that, my big dream was to be a, a journalist from war zones and stuff like that. Yeah. But you met, but when I want to be a journalist, that was back in the 70s when the Vietnam War was going on, and, and when the television would show you stuff from the war zone and stuff, which was actually pretty new and scary. That was my big dream back then, to be a journalist. That's very interesting. Do you write at all anymore? No, I no, I wouldn't say I write. It. Not me, but me and my friends are making some songs from time to time that we record. Uh, actually, I hope that we'll go into the studio here within within this month and uh, finish up the few songs. Which, uh, I made thing on one or two of the tracks. We have. Uh, wonderful woman that is singing and we're guitarist that's singing so I play a little guitar and but I have the pleasure to write the most of the song. I know it's late over there honest and we've been dealing with technical difficulties. So just to wind down here, what are some of your personal favorite films? Ordinary People. That's my favorite film. Robert Redford's first movie. As a director, I think it's from 1980. Tim Parton, Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Elizabeth McGovern. It's a great movie. What would you say has been the best acting advice that you've received throughout your career? But there's a big difference between making movies and then being on stage. You know, making movies, you pretty much. There's one thing I don't know. If, I think it's true that Catherine Hepburn. Either she wrote in the memoirs, the book that was written about her, that in her movies with uh, Spencer Tracy, they would do their scenes in two shots before noon every day, because afternoon, Spencer Davis would be too fucking drunk, and he would be sent home. So all the close-ups of her acting at him would, would be to a broomstick play by Samuel Beckett called So Thou Who Falls. I was given the part, I think, 10 days before the opening of the other end. There's a beautiful thing about being on the stage when it's good. You can feel it afterwards. You know whether you've done good evening or not. 
Well, honest, I know you just said you were semi-retired, but before I let you go for the afternoon, is there anything in the pipeline, anything on the horizon you can tell us about? There might be something, but that's very far out in the future. And let's say with the Atlantic uh, director, but that's at least 18 months out in the future, so it's very iffy Understood. I guess I hope that I'm going to hold up with Jay come October, September. Right. We all hope. <laughs> well, sir, I can't thank you enough for giving me some of your time this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Well, my pleasure. I hope you can use it for time. I, I guarantee you I can do that. <laughs> You have my phone number, you have my email, you have everything. You, you just call it for anything is needed. Uh, you want Thank something uh, extra to be answered or whatever. You, know. you have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.